You're listening to Top Traders Unplugged, episode number 012, where I continue my conversation with Matthias Bucher, co-founder and partner of All Mountain Capital. This episode is sponsored by Saxo Bank and Swiss Financial Services. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Now, you've mentioned another subject which I'd like to talk about next, um, risk management. You've, you've, you've mentioned it and talked about it so that my understanding at least is that this is very important in the way you approach things, the way you've designed things. So maybe you could tell me how you define mm. risk and, and, um, what targets of risk you're looking at and, and, you know, how you've gone about using this um, approach. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're typically looking uh, at risk as uh, the, the volatility, the, the VAR budget, uh, like uh, pretty much in line with the industry here. Uh, our risk management consists of three layers. We have a, a risk management layer on the portfolio level, then uh, on the uh, with the VOLA target, you know, the, the, the VAR budget that we want to allocate, then we will, uh, on an asset allocation level, make sure that the portfolio is optimally diversified at each time. And then we have on a single market or single position level, we have these uh, volatility stops, essentially. Uh, it's, we don't uh, use uh, profit targets or these kind of things. We rather, uh, you can uh, think of it like a uh, a uh, probability band around the trend. So the, the trend is up, for example, in equities right now. Now, should equities revert, the probability that this trend is still up gets lower and lower until it comes to a, a point where it uh, tends towards zero. And that would be the moment where our stop would uh, step in and take the position out. So when you say volatility, it's not purely volatility. It is also based on, you know, a reverse movement in the Absolutely. Price. It's essentially expanding volatility against the trend. Sure. And correlations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like that clearly plays a role in, 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 in your approach as well when it comes to diversification. And we also know that uh, correlations are not stable. They change from time to time. And... Uh, and certainly at times of crisis, uh, correlations seem to be, um, you know, often very different from um, how it is normally. How how do you look at that and, and how do you take account yeah, of that? Uh, you're fully uh, right here. Uh, correlation is certainly very important, but it's also a very tricky subject. And we did a lot of studies. We really looked deep into that. Essentially, we consider correlations, but we consider them in a very long run and we consider the tail events. Okay. Now, part of risk management is, of course, also the, uh, the drawdown side of uh, any trading program. And I guess um, for those of us who chose to be involved in the uh, CTA space, drawdown is something that we almost have to live with every day because uh, most of the time, 
any trend following CTA strategy is in a drawdown and for a short period of time it's making a new equity high which feels great until you then get back to your to your next drawdown how how does that um tell me a little bit about what your experience has been and I don't mean just in terms of the worst drawdown whether that is within expectation of your design um, but also maybe the evolution of drawdown because clearly what we've seen in the industry as a whole is that even some of the managers who've been around for two three four decades have seen you know some level of difference in their drawdown profile in the last few years compared to the very long history they have so maybe you could put that into perspective mm -hmm. as well so uh, i think you're spot on here uh i think what has been different this time and in the current drawdown uh, we and the industries in is not so much the, the absolute level or the depth but it's more the the time the time that uh the, the length, length exactly mean. the length of this yeah. drawdown and i think this is uh something also when i talk to uh peers out there this is something that many of them mention that uh especially the ones that have been uh, around for a long time that this is quite unusual and uh, uh i think it's majorly due to the central bank uh behavior I mentioned earlier on in this uh, conversation. Sure. And for your own part, would you say that the drawdown that you've been through, and I don't necessarily mean the current drawdown, but I just mean the worst drawdown, is that within expectations of all your testing uh, and research, or has that also been impacted by what you just mentioned? Actually, our... Uh uh, deepest drawdown was uh, not is, is not the recent one. The, this is the sure. length, the uh, longest one, the yeah, longest. the longest one, but not yeah. the deepest. And uh, even the deepest is, uh, has been uh, fully within the boundaries of uh, what we expect in uh, in our te testing uh, bootstrapping many time series. So no sure. uh, stress from this side. However, I mean, I need also to be. Uh, totally honest, nobody likes to be in a drawdown, and uh, when it goes on for a long time, uh, there is uh, there are several factors that pile up. You know, there is the mm. you get uh, punished by markets. Uh, of course, uh, the client interaction gets not easier, and uh, sure. but this is also something uh, normal. I think this is something in the end to be expected we need to face this and if we want to be in this business uh, we need to be able to stomach it and at the, on a positive note uh, drawdown also triggers a huge amount of creativity you know in research in, in, in many aspects so I always uh, think there is always a good side to, to a stress level or to a, a, a rather difficult situation with uh, being in a drawdown no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I agree. Um, and it leads me to, 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 to a couple of other questions on, on the same uh, subject. One would be whether you design your systems to have a certain drawdown profile that is within, you could say, your personal taste, what you feel you can stomach, or whether you designed your, pro your program 
to show a certain profile of what you think your ideal client can stomach? It's rather the second one. It, I mean, and, uh, you know, in the end, we are here to serve our clients and uh, we need to take their uh, uh, wishes or their, uh, their needs in, into account. So it, it doesn't make sense, uh, in my view, to design a program that makes your life as easy as possible, uh, not creating any emotional stress. And at the same time, not uh, living up to its potential, what it can do for a client. To me, it's quite an interesting discussion, actually, because I think many people would argue that, um, in, certainly within trend following, that the bigger the drawdown you can stomach, the more profits you will actually make over the mm -hmm. long term. So, so it is certainly an, an interesting balance to, to take, um, even though, of course, most people will uh, give the answer that you just gave, that clearly you can't have a product that your clients are not comfortable with, and that makes perfect sense. You know, but, uh, let me, let me jump in yeah. here. I think yeah. uh, it's interesting what you're saying. I have a slightly different opinion. I think, uh, in the end, the program profit over time is pretty past dependent so if uh, you go into a too deep drawdown uh, your probability of getting ruined because of redemptions will be very high will tend to one so i have i strongly feel that there is a natural boundary to a reasonable uh, leverage you should take as a manager if you don't want to gamble your business sure Sure, and and that, I think that that is the, the 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 balance. It is the business versus what's the optimal, you know, trading um, approach, and and those two are not always, you know, in in sync. And then clearly, if people want to be around, then the business side uh, usually takes takes over. But you know, our industry has also seen example of some very very famous and great managers who have stuck to their gun and uh, they may have lost clients along the way, but they've certainly made, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of um, good returns uh, as well. Now, before we leave the point of drawdowns, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the emotional mm -hmm. side about this and how you balance uh, this thing about being in, in a drawdown and in particular now where, we talk about drawdowns being somewhat long and and maybe longer than than we've used to see. How how does that affect you as a as a manager or portfolio manager to to go through this? And how do you what do you do to counteract it? I think uh, you need to take uh, this kind of stress as a stimulus to get creative. Creative as a researcher, creative as a business manager, by diversifying your offerings, uh, get creative. This is essentially my take on things, you know, get, uh, get energy out of it. Uh, and as yeah. long as you have ideas, you, you can improve, you can do something. I think it's something, in the end, it's something good in the long run. Sure. And have you ever doubted your system, meaning that... You know, this environment, as, as we've mentioned now a number of times uh, already, is clearly 
different and it's certainly not the environment that most systems in this particular strategy is designed for and has that ever caused you to sit down and look at the screen and say hmm i wonder if we are still doing the right thing i think it's a very important that uh if you get uh, ever get to such a situation that you actually take a step back and think about what you're actually promising your client and i think in uh, with a cta what you promise is to have outstanding returns in times of crisis and have uh, generate a positive return, a positive uh, benefit for the uh, client on average over time for the other periods. So this is essentially my take on what I think should be the, the profile of a good CTA. Now, in a situation like uh, we had since uh, autumn 2011, where volatility just gets crushed because of constant uh, central bank intervention and uh, the removal of the, the, the left tails. A program designed like ours or like a typical CTA uh, will and cannot perform. Now, of course, uh, coming back to my other remark, this does not mean you should lean back and uh, get complacent and uh, uh, stop worrying and uh, let uh, the client take all the blame. So I think at this time, I don't doubt about uh, our program at all because I understand what it does and when it will make money and when it cannot make money. But at the same time, it, it makes me very creative and uh, gives me a lot of drive to, to, to uh, get better as a business manager, to come up with alternative programs uh, that have maybe a different uh, payout profile that can pre perform in uh, such situation. All that, you see. So I always try to channel... Uh, uh, potentially negative emotion into some positive action. And I think that's my personal way of dealing with, uh, with distress. And that is actually a perfect segue to my next topic because I wanted to talk about research. And clearly that is where your creativity, uh, you know, is, is really important. So tell me a little bit about how you... Um, and uh, Tillman approach research what kind of research cycles do you have what are you looking for uh, in, in, in general when, when we talk about research mm -hmm. so uh, let me first talk about research in our program and then I uh, expand a little bit and talk about research uh, in our company as, as a whole so for this uh, program Tillman and I we are essentially in a constant uh, exchange you know, we always, we are uh, both very interested in what's going on in the markets. We really live and breathe uh, these uh, future markets, you know. And uh, so there is always a, a lot of uh, discussion uh, topics around. Then uh, from time to time, these uh, more loose discussions uh, condensate into topics that we really decide, look, this is something we need to look into. Uh, so uh, from a more loose uh, brainstorming type of uh, conversation, we will define clear research projects and we will uh, uh, work these uh, projects uh, uh, down in a very disciplined way. 
uh, so, both both of us really like to do the research work, and we really like to push in in this uh, uh, this effort. So uh, we try to uh, always uh, follow a, a very uh, concise research agenda with clear outputs and uh, also measurable. Uh, decisions in the sense let me elaborate so uh, this research per se is a very two-sided sword you can do too little lose your innovation or you can to, do too much essentially fiddle uh, around too much with your uh, uh, model uh, tweaking parameters uh, trying to optimize and mostly in sample uh, what your model is doing and end up with uh, losing the robustness of the model. And this is uh, also based on our background as uh, uh, quant in, in quantitative finance. This is a danger we were very aware of from the start. So uh, we uh, designed a, a research process that uh, essentially removes or uh, mostly, I, I cannot say this in absolute terms, but mostly removes sure. the, this uh, uh, bias to uh, over-optimize in-sample. Essentially, uh, we, have, we have a set of criteria, criteria that we need to see fulfilled before we implement a change in our model. And that is A, we fully, fully, and I mean it so, need to understand what we change and why. So we don't mm -hmm. like this. You mentioned the black box. I, I uh, mm -hmm. uh, back to defer here. Uh, we, we are we calling it our model a white box. We fully want to sure. understand what our model does and why, because uh, mm -hmm. this is in brackets. I think only then you will have the confidence to trade through a drawdown. Sure. Okay. So uh, we need to understand what we change and why, and then the change needs to. Uh, bring a significant increase in uh, performance. We have a performance matrix that we've defined and we want to see essentially uh, the overall score of this performance ma matrix increase above a threshold. If this is the case, we implement uh, a change, otherwise we don't. And uh, so far, this has actually worked pretty well. Could you give me an example of something you've discovered uh over the last few years and, yeah. and and maybe describe and say, well, this is what we were looking for. This is how we solved the problem. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and yes, uh, yeah. so an, an obvious uh, example is the way we, how we uh, create our portfolio. So we had a different uh, portfolio generation mechanism, or uh, not a totally different, but we had a different one in the beginning. And, uh, we observed cer certain uh, facts uh, where we were not pleased in all situations, and that led us to some ideas. These ideas in, uh, led to a better approach, a better measure, and so we saw then in backtesting uh, that this would really increase performance, and that's what we implemented, and I also could confirm so far in, uh, in live trading. Mm. Now, of course, many investors will tell you that they want you to innovate they want you to do research but not all investors want change mm -hmm. how do you balance um innovation and research um and 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 change which may lead some 
you know, certainly potential investors to say, hmm, you're making a change now. I, I want to see the next two, mm -hmm. three years before I decide, uh, you know, whether to act. Absolutely. I think this is a uh, very real danger. And it, it, it goes back to what I said. So we uh, value ro model robustness very highly. And uh, we certainly uh, we are very aware of the danger of style drift. So that's something we mm -hmm. don't do. So we don't uh, I mentioned the example before, we would not start trading some intraday patterns now just because uh, we might have had in the last uh, three months better results because of it. So we are a medium-term trend follower and we stay a medium-term trend follower with this program. Sure. What kind of research are you looking at at the moment? What, what, what catches your attention and uh, interest now uh this can uh, this leads me to the uh, broader uh, perspective i wanted to uh, bring in as well so so far we've talked about the intra-program research but then mm -hmm. uh, being a business manager i also need to make sure that the product offering of the firm stays competitive and as we've seen there are periods where that are difficult for CTAs. So it's for us as a business, it's certainly good to have uh, uh, products that don't show the same kind of uh, payout profile. And so the, a recent uh, project, a recent big uh, research project that we just concluded is a, a new equity uh, program uh, that we are going to launch shortly with a high-profile Swiss bank. Tell me a little bit more about that. What uh, what have you created? Uh, essentially, it's a, a very interesting offering for uh, many clients. It, this product will uh, give the investor the possibility to be exposed to the long uptrend in uh, equities, but removes mm -hmm. a lot of the drawdowns and uh, the suffering during uh, bear markets. So kind of an asymmetric Pay yeah, exactly. profile. You you keep most of the upside, exactly. but you lose yes. hopefully a lot and of we, the downside. And we, here we're building strongly on our uh, expertise in risk management, and we also uh, and uh, because this is a, a different kind of uh, product offering with a, with a clearly different uh, also characteristics. Uh, this time we also uh, broadened our view on the information that you uh, can use now in a managed future context like our uh, uh, big program that we're running at the CTA, you typically depend on price information only. Here we are going much broader. So we're looking at macroeconomic data. We're looking at market risk uh, data. We bring them into a, a consistent quantitative framework that allows us to discriminate uh, regimes, the bull markets from the bear markets to... Uh, uh, say it very simply and this allows us to uh, with a big conviction to go or stay long in the bull markets or get out in the bear markets and is this also a fully automated strategy that essentially has the same implementation as as you uh, have in your cta program this will also uh, show uh, intraday stops and has uh, being a long-term exposure 
uh, to equities uh, rather infrequent uh, trading frequency, however. So the, the regimes are changing very infrequently, you know. It's not like a, a, a big portfolio shift or something. So this is, uh, on the one hand, a slower-moving uh, approach. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we still keep maintain this uh, edge of intraday risk management. So if you're running into a 87 crash with this product, you're going to be uh, you're going to have a safety net. Sounds very interesting. Now, staying on the theme of of the business side, mm -hmm. you just mentioned that product innovation can also be a, a tool to expand uh, the business overall. And and I think diversification of product offering uh, is also, uh, you know, makes makes a lot of sense. But there's a couple of things that I just want to sort of also talk a little bit about, which uh, which you, um, you know, have, have been uh, exposed to. One is, for example, location. I mean, you've decided to set up your company a little bit away from the uh, the busy financial uh, centers um what was the sort of the the, the reasoning uh, for this and and do you think it helps you uh, be more creative to be removed a little bit from the the pulse of of financial centers or are there anything other behind uh, this decision yeah you know as you know we are uh, located in volarau which is actually uh, just half an hour driving uh, from uh, Zurich downtown. So it's not really that you're very far away. Wallerau, on the other hand, is uh, extremely tax efficient, uh, one of the most uh, tax efficient places in Switzerland. So this is clearly uh, a good uh, aspect for our company. And uh, s sitting at the countryside for me personally is uh, a very good thing because I get a lot of creativity from from being in the nature, doing sports. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think I would feel less comfortable sitting sitting in London, for example. <laughs> sure. Now, again, just looking at it from 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 the business side. Um, What's been the biggest challenge, do you think, from you know starting your business and and so on and so forth? What 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 uh, what do you think it's uh, yeah the biggest challenge and how 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 do you overcome these challenges when you face them? That's a, a very good question. I mean, in the beginning, the challenge was certainly to get fully up and running in a professional way. So we did that the first time and uh, it certainly took a lot of effort to get to the professional level that we are today with uh, our full mm -hmm. automation, with a, a highly uh, competitive IT infrastructure. Uh, that's That was certainly a, a big challenge, a big uh, but also a very interesting one. I, I must say I, I liked it a lot. Now, uh, going forward, uh, looking forward, uh, the big challenge will certainly be to make investors, uh, to convince investors uh, that uh, the trends are not just dead forever, that they mm -hmm. keep patient, that to explain well to them what is going on and what uh, 
uh, what they can expect in the in the long run. So I think client retention will be a big challenge, like for everybody in the CTA industry right sure. now. Uh, the next uh, big challenge is certainly to launch these uh, additional products. We have others in the uh, pipeline. I don't want to uh, go too deep into that right now, but to launch su successfully launch uh, these new products, that's the, the next uh, big challenge. And in the medium term, I think the whole regulation in Switzerland, which gets almost overwhelming, uh, poses a serious threat to the uh, competitiveness of uh, smaller managers. Sure. So the, here sure. We, uh, we clearly uh, need to find answers and uh, we are actively working on, uh, on these issues as well. Sure. I also wanted to ask a completely different question. I don't know whether you have an opinion about this, but the CTA industry started off as being very US centric. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of the names from back in the 80s and even 70s, some of them are still around. But at the time, of course, the, uh, the US managers were dominating this mm -hmm. industry. But in the last 10 years or so, it seems like the industry has moved, you know, east to Europe. European managers have become sort of the powerhouses of uh, this industry. Why do you think that is? Is there, because you've clearly studied some of the, the US managers and the history of the, mm -hmm. the uh, CTA industry before launching your own. Um, is there anything that that you think has has um, attributed to this change? Um, is there something that European managers do or the way they look, so to speak, maybe more scientific than your classic trend follower? Or why do you think that that change has taken mm -hmm. place? I think it's a very interesting observation and I tend to agree with you. So uh, the 80s until... Some what into the 90s, the, the Americans were dominating. Then you saw the the likes of AHL, Winton, Aspect, uh, Blue Trend growing. Clearly, uh, European firms very academically rooted uh, got very big. Uh, now let me share with you my. Uh, perspective on how I think the industry will evolve. You know. The facts we've stated, what happened so far. What I think right now is that we are in a major, I call it industrialization of the finance industry, and uh, the CTA industry is no exception. So we got okay. very big. Now, right now, I think we will see a, a massive uh, margin squeeze. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, a lot of offerings, uh, for example, uh, AQR or PIMCO come with very uh, competitive rates, which will, mm -hmm. uh, the question, of course, is then how the performance of these uh, more passive products will look like. But nevertheless, they are here. And I think we will see something that we've seen, for example, in the automotive industry a long time ago, that you essentially... I uh, will see a kind of a barbell situation where you have the very big shops that need to be super efficient, very cost sensitive and will uh, have rather low fees. And then you will see the boutique shops uh, 
who have a specialization in uh, in certain markets a clear edge like the uh, like a Volkswagen and maybe a Lamborghini the the one is the mass market and the other is the the boutique uh high, higher priced special uh, clientele clear uh, uh profile the others very efficient very industrialized i think this is where we're going and uh, uh, to, you know, uh, maybe the pendulum swings a little bit back now in favor of the Americans. Or I, go, I would not even call it the Americans now, more the specialists who have maybe deep uh, market insights, a very good idea what they trade and uh, good intuition about. Think about the, the big market that is going to open uh, or is opening right now, which is China. So many interesting future markets are there. Uh, very different price dynamics than here. And I think uh, this is, for example, one, ex uh, one market where uh, specialist know-how can make a difference. So I think uh, there will be space for both very focused, very uh, smart, small shops, boutiques, and then there will be the big uh, industry uh, uh, conglomerates, to, to say it in a very extreme way, you know, who have a more uh, streamlined uh, cost-based kind of production centers and a rather competitive cost structure. Interesting. I mean, I think I don't disagree with what you say, and uh, but I think it requires certainly one thing, and that is a mental shift from the investors, because clearly at the moment it would seem that um, big is beautiful, um, and that people certainly take comfort in size uh, relative to any other thing, except if you are so exceptional from a performance point of view. Um, that they can't ignore you. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I think what you're saying makes sense, um, but it certainly requires some change in a, in a bigger shape uh, within the investor community as well. Yes, uh, I tend to agree. Uh, it will also require a more benevolent environment uh, for the CTIs in general, you know, when uh, sure. in times of stress and uh, times of uh, super performance, uh, I think many uh, investors take a kind of a, 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 yeah, conf confidence in rather bigger structures because at least mm. they know they cannot err too much there's so much other capital betting on the same horse. Uh, we might see that change when the industry uh, gets back to new highs and uh, the market environment gets uh, more interesting for real uh, pure CTA strategies and less of this asset allocation behavior that we see from many big uh, CTAs right now. Sure, sure. What does it take in your opinion, to become a great trader or great CTA, what are the traits that you need to have as a as a human being to uh, to strive in 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 this industry? You know, uh, to become a great manager, I think you need to have two sets of characteristics. One is to be a good trader, 
and the other is to be a good businessman. I mean, that's what how I define success is to be successful as a business by being a good trader. Now, uh, this is not necessarily the same kind of uh, characteristics uh, that would make a, a good trader and a good businessman, but I can share my opinion on what it takes to, to become a, a good uh, trader, just speaking about myself. Uh, I think a good trader needs to have a really solid in-depth market know-how. He needs to understand markets. He needs to. Uh, he needs to have a big passion for markets. He needs to be totally interested by markets. Uh, that's. I think this is a very, very key uh, and obvious uh, characteristic. Uh, now, these are more the cognitive uh, aspects of uh, being a good trader. But uh, you cannot uh, neglect the emotional side. I think you need to be emotionally stable enough to not get uh, uh, panicky if things are not working well, but on the other side also not get exuberant when you're making a, a big buck. So I think these uh, traits or these characteristics are very important. Uh, the, the markets, the, the basic uh, know-how, quantitative technology, but then also the emotional stability. Then uh, on the business side, I think it's important to have a good strategic vision where you want to go. Then uh, uh, a good discipline to implement the measures that you reach these targets. And uh, finally, uh, the bigger you grow, also uh, a certain way of dealing with people that you can uh, be... A, a, a good leader in an organization, uh, inspire, the, let's say, the next generation of, of people and uh, create a, a great uh, atmosphere within a company. I think these are, these are sure. the, the important things. And, and, and talking about aspiration, but in a different mm -hmm. way, when you were starting out and maybe even today, are there any of the big firms the brands that we all know that you aspire to? No, not necessarily. I think in the end it's important that uh, everybody finds his or her own way. And I think I certainly uh, admire or uh, recognize all these achievements. But in the end, I don't want to just uh, aspire to become someone else. I want to really uh, fulfill our potential as all mountain capital. Now, um, Matthias, did you always want to become an entrepreneur or was that something that just, you know, came to you because the opportunity of taking the program out of uh, Horizon 21 um, suddenly materialized or has this always been your dream actually uh i always had it in my in the back of my head so i uh, <laughs> i uh, kind of wanted to get the education and uh, the working mm -hmm. experience that would enable me to become an entrepreneur one day this is probably a little bit of family legacy i have uh, some uh 
pretty successful uncles uh, as businessmen. And uh, I always uh, liked the way they uh, worked. They, they, I liked them a lot as people, as persons. So uh, mm -hmm. for me, this was certainly uh, an inspiration, you know, to become uh, also an entrepreneur myself. And I, I must say I love this uh, lifestyle in the end the, the responsibility that it uh, brings and i uh, happily accept also the the additional work uh, that comes with it sure sure fantastic now based on everything you've learned in your career mm -hmm. if you were starting out today what would you do differently do you think if anything it's a different difficult question actually <laughs> Uh, I didn't say it was going to be easy. But, uh. <laughs> uh, let me think a bit. Uh, now, you know, what would I do different? I mean, when I look back now at the recent uh, history and the markets, I certainly regret a bit that I did not immediately and fully understand what it would mean for markets and the volatility in the markets that the European Central Bank would fall into step with the Fed and all uh, central banks would start behaving the same way in 2011-12. This is uh, certainly, if I could turn back time, uh, I would mm -hmm. love to have understood that earlier. And what would that have made you do differently then, if you had that understanding? Would that have forced you to do your additional product offering at that time? I mean, would that is that what you're saying that you know it's better to have more, um, you know, uh, legs on the on the stool, so to speak, than than just focusing on one product? Or is there something mm -hmm. else you mean when you say that? Of course, it's a very hypothetical question. Also, I mean, yeah, I want to be realistic. Uh, there are only that many resources that you can uh, dedicate to projects. But resp uh, retrospectively, uh, it would certainly have been good to uh, start diverse, diversifying our product offering earlier. That's for sure, yeah. Mm. We would uh, certainly, if we had now uh, already a suit of products up and running, we would uh, weather the storm easier. Sure. Now, we've been speaking for almost an hour and a half, so uh, this is a great uh, conversation and very much appreciated. I only have a few more things that I wanted to uh, sure. ask you, which is uh, not really related to... Uh, to uh, to your program or, or, or trading as such but if you could ask a question to the next guest on top traders unplugged probably some of your peers what would you ask them well i would ask them where do you see the cta industry in 10 years from now not in two but in 10 I will make a note of that. Now, final question. Is there any fun fact? Because this is also about getting to know you as a person and not just about the program and the risk management and all of these sort of quantitative things, but, you know, the real people behind the systems, the models. Is there a fun fact 
that you can tell me about yourself that most people <laughs> wouldn't know? Also a very good question. Look, I think uh, it's pretty well known that I'm uh, quite a family a person, uh, that I love action sports, be it kite surfing, be it uh, mountain biking or uh, uh, skiing. What is probably less known about me, I don't know if it qualifies for a fun fact, but this uh, <laughs> certainly a bit less known about me that I totally love music and uh, I uh, played an instrument myself until about I was 20. Then I uh, stopped it also uh, because of my education and everything. But uh, today I absolutely love music. I listen to a lot of different music, uh, be it world music or uh, contemporary country or Americana, be it uh, classical music or fusion jazz, or even like uh, my heavy dose of heavy metal. Fantastic. And... Uh, May I ask what instrument you play? I play trombone. Wow, that's uh, unusual, if I if I may say. Matthias, um, before we finish our conversation, could you tell our listeners where they can best reach out to you and and learn more about All Mountain Capital? Yes, sure. Uh, best go to uh, www.allmountaincapital.com. You will see a web page with some uh, uh, basic information and then you can uh, click on what you're interested in most. You just need to uh, register, unlock everything and uh, you have full access. And then uh, there you also find our phone number. I'm uh, very happy if you give us a call. I'm happy to continue uh, the discussion uh, with you personally or answer whatever question you might have. Fantastic. Matthias, Thank you ever so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to share your insights and views on your own strategy, of course, your firm and, and also our industry as a whole. And of course, our listeners can find all the details of today's discussion in the show notes uh, for this episode on toptradersonplug.com. So I hope we can connect at a later stage to get an update and see how all the great work you do pan out and of course the launch of your new product. So thank you so much again and uh, take care. Thank you very much, Niels. Ready to learn more about the world's top traders? Go to toptradersunplugged.com and sign up to receive the full transcripts of the first 10 episodes of the show and visit the show notes where you can find useful links to other amazing resources. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged.